Matthew chapter 9, and we're in this section of Matthew, these two chapters, 8 and 9, where Matthew breaks it out for us in this way where Jesus does three miracles, and then there's a teaching, and then there's three more miracles, and then another teaching, and then another set of three miracles, and another teaching from Jesus. Where we find ourselves today is on that second uh, teaching section. So we've looked at the first and second set of miracles. We've looked at that first teaching section. And now here we're in this second uh, section where there's a teaching from Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 9, and we're looking again at verses 9 through 17 this morning. And because it's December and we can all use a little bit more exercise this month, why don't we stand this morning uh, for the reading of God's word. As Jesus pressed on from there, he saw a man, a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, without your word, we would be lost. Without your word, we would be in darkness. But Lord, I thank you that those who were in darkness have seen a great light, that your word shines forth, Lord, uh, as, as a bright and blazing sun, Lord, showing us the way to live, how to live our lives, showing us the truth of your gospel by which we might be saved, showing us the path of life by which we might be sanctified. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us here today, every one of us, ears to hear, and that your spirit would speak through your word today. Lord, that you would change us, that you would mold us and shape us into the people that you would have us be in this time in this season. Lord, I pray that we would be like those new wineskins, that you could pour into us new wine, the joy of your spirit today. Lord, that we would walk out of here renewed and refreshed in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You could be seated this morning. Just a little bit of background here. It says that Jesus was passing by and saw a man named Matthew. This Matthew that's mentioned here in verse 9 is the author of this book that we are going through. Matthew's gospel is written by this man here, Matthew. It says he was a tax collector. He was sitting at the tax booth. Tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. I, I don't know that they're very much cherished in our day as well, but particularly in Jesus' day, they were despised. And it's difficult for us to imagine just how loathed tax collectors were because the Jewish people at that time lived under Roman occupation. They had been conquered by a foreign power. They were living under the Roman Empire, under the, the thumb of a foreign government, under the government of Rome, under Caesar. And it's hard for us to imagine that because we live 
truly in the most free country that has ever lived in the history of the world, where we are free to determine our own path in, in our own life, and we're not under the oppression uh, of a tyrannical government in the way that they were. Now, of course, as our culture and nation continues to reject the word of God, we find ourselves living more and more under tyrannical, uh, tyrannical system. But nevertheless, still today, we live in the freest country on the face of the earth. And so it's hard for us to understand just exactly where they were. But let us imagine if we, if we could possibly that our nation was conquered by a foreign power. That's hard for us to even imagine as, as we are the most powerful nation on the earth. But let us just imagine for a moment the dark reality of Russia or China or, or some other uh, uh, conglomeration of nations come together and conquered our nation and set up their own foreign government. And we then began to pay taxes to Vladimir Putin, to Xi Jinping. And imagine, if you will, that some from our own community joined in with that foreign government to go door to door and to collect taxes from us. How much would we despise such a person? It's hard for us to even imagine what this is like. But this is who Matthew is. You see, he's a tax collector, which means he's employed by the Roman government. And the Roman government would employ locals who, who would be traitors. They were traitors to their own people. Who would betray their own people so that they themselves could be enriched in their own pockets. How much would we despise such a person? It's hard to even imagine, but that's who Matthew was. He had betrayed his own people, the Jewish people, so that he might collect taxes for the Roman government, which means he was a pragmatist. A pragmatist is someone who says something like, well, somebody's going to do it anyway. Might as well be me getting rich. So it's going to be somebody, might as well be me. So it's somebody who is not governed by principle, someone who's not governed by, by, by convictions, but someone who just sort of goes whichever way the wind is blowing and says it's going to happen anyway, might as well be me. I, I don't think that we appreciate that sort of outlook in life. We don't appreciate people who have no convictions, who go whichever way the wind is blowing. But that's who Matthew is. And here he is sitting at the tax booth and Jesus walks by. And what is amazing is that Jesus, upon seeing this man sitting there at the tax booth, he turns to him and Jesus gives Matthew the greatest invitation that any one of us could ever receive. This man, this traitor, this tax collector receives the greatest invitation from the greatest man who has ever lived. Never in the history of the world have more gracious words ever been heard by anyone. Oh, to hear those blessed words, follow me. Jesus looks at Matthew and says to him, follow me. What joy must have filled his soul in this moment that Jesus, the King, the Messiah, would extend to the traitor an invitation to follow him, to become one of his disciples, to, to join in this new kingdom that he was building. The call that went out to Matthew that day is the same call that comes to us on this day. 
Just as Jesus bid Matthew follow me, he bids all of us the same. The call goes out to you today from Christ, follow me. And that same call as it was from Matthew, from the king to Matthew the traitor, it is the same call to us from the king of kings to sinners that have rebelled against him. Yet in his grace, Christ bids you today, follow him. Follow him and find life. Follow him and find joy. Follow Christ and find peace and hope and joy and purpose and love. Christ says, follow me. We see Matthew's response. It says in verse 9 again, it says, when he heard these words, he rose and followed him. Here we see on display the only reasonable response to such a call. The only reasonable response from the king to the traitor. The only reasonable response to this great and glorious invitation to follow me is simply to rise and follow him. There is no delay we see here in Matthew. There are no excuses. He doesn't say, I, I will... I will follow you, but first let me go and take care of this. First let me go and take care of that. Remember we saw that earlier in Matthew chapter 8. Those who said they would follow Jesus, but let me first tend to this very important business. We don't see any of that in Matthew. No, he rose and followed him. And may we all respond to Christ's call with such simplicity and faith. Christ bids us follow him and may we all simply rise and follow. Here Matthew was a Jew. That means he's a descendant of Abraham, a son of Abraham by blood. He, he literally has the blood of Abraham in his veins. Though he had rejected his own people, in this moment when the king calls out to him, follow him. He shows that he is not only a descendant of Abraham by blood, but that he is a descendant of Abraham by faith. As he steps out in faith to follow Christ. And Christ has called us. In the gospel, God has called all of us to follow Christ. Christ has called our name, the Bible says. He calls us each by name. And the question for all of us is, will we rise and follow him? Not just in lip service, but in life service. Will we follow Christ? Not just singing our praises, not, not just saying the right things. But will we follow him by living our lives under his authority, under his word? Now we know that we are only saved by grace. It's only God's gracious gift of salvation that we receive by faith. We don't earn our salvation by following Christ. It's not that if I, if I follow him the right way in these ways then I have earned my salvation. No, of course not. We are saved by grace through faith. And in this calling of Matthew, we see both on display. We see both grace and faith. We see the grace of our Lord as he turns to this traitor and extends to him unmerited favor. Matthew did not earn this invitation to follow Christ for he was a tax collector he was a publican, he was a sinner, he was a traitor to his nation and his people. Yet Christ bids him, follow me. You see, that is grace, my friends. And that is the picture of Christ calling all of us. We have all, the Bible says, we have all sinned against God. We have all been traitors to God. We have all rebelled against God. 
Yet God in his grace looks down upon us in our lowly estate, in our sinful conditions. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he extends to us grace. And he calls us, he says, follow me. This is the unmerited favor of God. And here we see that we receive salvation by grace through faith. And we see Matthew's faith on display as he rose and followed him. You see, faith is never seen in words, but faith is only seen in action. You can hear about someone's faith by their words and by their profession, But sooner or later, you will see whether that profession is real, will you not? By what? By their actions. By their actions. James, the apostle, says, I will show you my faith by my works. So it is our actions, it is our works, not that save us, but that put on display the faith by which we have received salvation. You see, Matthew, in this moment, he leaves behind his old life. He leaves behind everything to follow Christ. You recall that Jesus uh, earlier had said that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I, the Son of Man, I don't have a home. I have nowhere to lay my head. See, Matthew is stepping into a life of following Christ wherever that goes. And it's always a step of faith to follow Christ. He left behind his old life. And when Christ bids us follow him, faith requires that we leave behind our old life. Following Christ, it takes faith. Every step of faith, every every action of following Christ always requires faith. It's always a step into the unknown. Whenever we read in God's word something that convicts us, something that challenges us, something in God's word where Christ is saying, follow me, will you obey my word? To, To take that step to follow Christ, every time it's a step of faith. Every time to follow him, I must let go of something else that I'm holding on to, something else that I'm trusting in, something else that I'm getting security from. And and following Christ, I must let go of that and I must trust in him and I must trust in his word, taking a step into the unknown, trusting fully upon Christ and in his word. And so we see Matthew's faith here on display. In verse 10, it says that Jesus went to his house and reclined there at the table with him. Jesus comes to Matthew's house. What joy must have filled his house and his heart and his life that day as the king came to his home. Jesus in John 14 says, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, when we follow Christ, the promise is that Christ will fill our lives with his presence. And all of the benefits and all of the blessings that come from being in the presence of God. All of the joy and all of the love and all of the peace and all of the happiness that come from being in the presence of God. And so he welcomes the Lord into his home on that day. And then through his hospitality, his home is turned into a ministry center. It says, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came And we're reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Through Matthew's life, through his home, he begins to introduce his friends, his neighbors, all of his sinners, 
all of his sinful friends, all of his tax collectors, he begins to introduce them to Jesus. He begins inviting his friends to meet Jesus. And it's not just one or two, but it is many. It is many. And this here is one of the results of a life that has been touched by Christ. We want everybody to know this Jesus. We want everybody to know the one that has called us and saved us and redeemed us. We want everyone to know the one that has filled our life with such joy. And so many are coming to his home. And what a great day this is. That all of these sinners, that all of these tax collectors, that all of these traitors, all of these outsiders are being brought into relationship and fellowship with God. And you know that God can use our lives in that way too? God can use our lives in that way too. Now there was a certain group of people that were not so happy about this. That's the Pharisees. That's the religious leaders of Jesus' day when they saw this scene. Their hearts were not filled with joy. They were not impressed. It says in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, they think that they found an opportunity to discredit Jesus. They view Jesus, the Pharisees, they view Jesus as a threat. And rightfully so. He was a threat to them. He was going about upending and exposing their whole false religious system. And every time that he exposed them, instead of repenting, they would double down And so here, when they see that Christ is associating with those whom they consider to be distasteful, they launch an attack upon him. But notice they don't even have the courage to approach Jesus himself. Instead, they go to his disciples behind his back. And they begin to try to tarnish Jesus' reputation and thereby undermine Jesus' authority in their lives. And this is how the enemy always works. He's seeking somehow to tarnish Christ or tarnish his word, casting doubts into our mind about the validity of Christ and the validity of his word so that Christ's lordship in our lives might be undermined. We see in the Pharisees not the spirit of God, but the Spirit of the serpent. And so Jesus hears that they are questioning him. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he associate with these horrible people? But verse 12, it says, When Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love Jesus so much. And one of the things I love most about him is all of his sharp edges. (laughs) There's a a certain sort of what, what, what was the precious moments? Remember those, that, that precious moments sort of pictures and little sculptures? We used to have those, but then my mom had five boys and they all got broken. But <laughs> the moments weren't so precious. Some of them were glued together and anyway. If, if you don't know what that is, you can Google it later. But it was this sort of depiction of Bible stories that kind of looked like angelic Charlie Brown characters. They were just kind of all plump and round, and they, they, they were just so, like, glowing, uh, halos all around them. And there's a certain sort of view of Christ that's, that wants to uh, 
smooth out all the rough edges, wants to sand down all the sharp points. But when you read the Gospels, you, you find out that Jesus is not the Jesus of precious moments. And we see it right here. When Jesus is questioned about who he's associating with, he turns to them and he says, go and learn what this means. And then he quotes to them Hosea 6, 6. He quotes to them a passage of scripture where the, the prophet Hosea speaking for God says, I desire steadfast love, that is mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But just that statement, go and learn what this means. What a barbed statement. He's saying, you guys don't know your Bibles. You don't know your Bibles. You, you think that you've got it all figured out, but you, you haven't even started at the first grade of true faith and religion. You need, you need to go back to kindergarten, Pharisees. You think you're you know, on the PhD level, and you need to go back and learn your shapes and your colors again. Go and learn what this means. He tells them this passage, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, it means that the Pharisees had a lot of religious activity. They had a lot of sacrifice going on. And that's even mentioned later here in this question about fasting. They would sacrifice a lot, not just animals, but living a very stripped-down lifestyle of even persecuting themselves. They would fast, the Pharisees would fast twice a week, two days a week, the Pharisees would fast, and they would put it on display for everyone to see. In the Old Testament, God's people were only required to fast one day a, one day a year, the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees had taken that and they had turned it in what, what should have been a, a time of reminding God's people that, that we don't, aren't sustained by our, our, our natural sustenance, but that we look to God to sustain us both naturally and spiritually in this day of atonement. And they turned that into this, again, part of their false system of man-made religion whereby which they could earn their own righteousness through their own good works. And so later on, this is brought up, this question of, of fasting. They fa would fast twice a week, and they would put it on display for everyone to know that they were fasting so that everyone could be so impressed with how righteous, quote-unquote righteous, they were. But here he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, what Jesus here is saying is that what matters at the heart of it is, is transformation on the inside, not just religious activity on the outside, but a transformed heart on the inside, which would result in a merciful heart, a merciful heart towards these who are caught in sin. The Pharisees had all of their religious activities but their hearts were far from God. Their affections were not towards God. They did not love God. They loved themselves. They worshiped themselves. They used God and their religion to get what they wanted for themselves. They, they preached the Ten Commandments, yet they violated the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. They, they used the Ten Commandments to commit idolatry. Think about that. That is how deceitful sin is. That is how pernicious sin is. The heart of man is so deceitful that we can even use good things to accomplish evil. And so the Pharisees used their religious activity to mask and to conceal their evil hearts. They were not merciful. They were hard-hearted. They had not experienced grace because grace transforms our hearts, does it not? 
You see, we're hum- the gospel humbles us. It humbles us as we recognize our sinful condition and our only hope. Our only hope is the grace of God. Our only hope. Unmerited favor. But they were going around thinking that they had merited their favor. That they had earned their right standing before God. So, so Jesus, why would you spend time with these people who have not done the right things, who have not earned their righteousness? Jesus, you should be spending time with us. You should be honoring us with the blessing of your presence, not feasting with these sinners. Jesus, you should be fasting with us. But Jesus, in this moment, he turns the tables on them in the most stunning of ways. What comes out of his mouth is possibly the most shocking statement that someone who is trusting in their own righteousness could ever hear. It truly is an astounding statement. We see it here in verse 13, the end of verse 13. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow, what a statement. This is a shocking statement. That Jesus does not call the righteous, but sinners. Think about how upside down that is to how we think in our natural condition. Surely God, who is righteous, surely God, who is holy, is looking for the righteous to get on his team, to recruit to his movement. Surely Jesus would be looking for the righteous to build his kingdom with. Think about how confused the Pharisees must have been when they heard this statement. Jesus is, you're you're calling sinners? You're calling the sinful? You're calling the traitors? You're calling those who who, who do not follow God, who who do not uh, uh, practice all of this religion? What in the world? This makes no sense. Could anything be more upside down in the world that we live. Calling the sinners, enlisting the sinful, not looking for the righteous. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Now we who know the gospel and love the gospel and cherish it, we live by this truth every day, do we not? That Christ came to call not the righteous but the sinful. We know this. We live by this. This is the truth that we embrace and that we love and that we cherish. But let us, in knowing the gospel and loving it, let us never become so familiar with it that it ceases to shock and amaze us. Let let our hearts never grow dull to truly how astounding this is. That the righteous and holy one, that the Lord of glory came not to call the righteous, but the sinful. The reason, of course, that Christ calls sinners and not the righteous is because none are righteous and all are sinners. You see, if Christ only came to call the righteous, he he wouldn't have even come at all. Because none are righteous. And all are sinful. It's only because Christ calls sinners that he even came to call anyone. It's only because Christ calls sinners that he called Matthew on that day. And it's only because Christ calls sinners that he has called us as well. So this is the good news. This is the gospel. Christ calls sinners. Christ calls the sinful to himself. Are you sinful? There is a place in God's kingdom for you. Are you a sinner? Christ wants you on his team. Are you broken? Jesus will restore you. Are you burdened by sin? Jesus says, cast your burden upon me and I will carry it for you. Christ came to call the sinful Christ came to call sinners. And on that blessed tree, he took our sin upon himself. 
on that blessed tree. He took every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every sinful action. He, he took even our, our own self-righteousness. He took even our righteous deeds, which are as filthy rags. He took even the things that we would put in the win column, but that we have trusted in them instead of trusting in him. He took even those upon himself. He took all of our, all of our sin, all of our shame upon him so that at the end he could declare, it is finished. The work has been completed. There is nothing we need do to be saved. There is no good work. There is nothing we do to earn salvation. Because if, if there was, don't you understand that we are so sinful we would take pride in that and not trust in Christ? Yeah. If God had come and said, do these five things and you'll receive salvation, what would we trust in? these five things and not in Christ. And those five things, the law, the law is powerless to bring salvation. The law is powerless to bring new birth. The law is powerless to produce in us the desire to keep God's law. It's only through Christ and his work and his spirit and his atonement and his grace that we have any hope, that we have any hope our righteousness is filthy rags, but his righteousness, his righteousness is perfect. The spotless lamb of God. And when we come to Christ and when we trust in him, the Bible says that our, our filthy rags, our robe laid upon him and his righteousness laid upon us. It's that story of the prodigal son when the prodigal son returned in all of his shabbiness and all of his, his, his own self-righteousness and all of his sinful activity. Naked and ashamed, he returned to his father. And the father kissed him and put the best robe on him and said, my son has returned home. And it's like that with all of us. When we come to Christ, we come in this sinful condition, broken. But God the Father receives us and says, My son, my daughter has returned home. Put the best robe on them. And so let us respond in faith, just like Matthew responded in faith. I love how Matthew, when he heard the words, there was no delay in his obedience to the Lord. But so often when his word comes to us, we delay. We downplay it. When his word comes to us, we, we put it off. We say, later we'll obey. Often when we even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin in our lives, we downplay it, we make excuses, we say, oh, I'll, I'll start next week. And this time of year we're all saying, well, I'll start next year. But listen, we only have one life to live. And every day not lived for Christ is a day wasted. Every day we don't live for Christ is a day we wasted, a day we can never get back, and a day we can never return to. And so let us respond in faith to the call of God immediately. Let us respond in faith to the call of God today. This is why the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When we are convicted of sin, let us confess it immediately and find freedom. Let us not delay in putting into practice the cherished truths that we find in Christ's word. How many souls have wasted their lives one day at a time? Wasted their lives by wasting one day at a time saying, 
I'll follow Christ tomorrow. I'll obey his word next week. I'll, I'll start in the new year. No, today is the day to follow Christ. Why waste another moment? Why waste another day? Let us get on with following Christ. Let us, like the psalmist says, my soul followeth hard after thee. Let us not delay in following him in whatever area of life he's calling us to. As I said earlier, every call to follow Christ is a call to step out in faith. I don't know where you're at in your life and your relationships and, and, and where it is that Christ is bidding you follow him. Christ is bidding you trust in him. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ for your, the forgiveness of your sins. Today is the day. Today is the day to repent of your sins and to trust in his work of atonement for you, his sacrifice on the cross. That is your step of following him. After that, your next step to follow Christ is to follow him through the waters of baptism, to be baptized in his name. To, to, to signify I have died to my old life of sin and shame and now I am living a new life by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe there's certain things in God's word that the Lord is convicting you on. I, I, maybe he's, he's, he's drawing you into deeper times of prayer to, to set aside some other things that you might focus in on him. Don't delay. Set aside that time for the Lord today. Don't wait. Maybe the Lord's drawing you into spending more time in his word. Do it today. Respond in faith today. Maybe it's some practical areas in your, in your marriage or in your parenting or at your workplace. Don't delay if, you've been diso if you haven't been following Christ, hear me in this. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to go before the Lord and not just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing it now. No, first you must confess your sin. You must confess to the Lord. I have not been following you. I've been under your conviction. God, today I repent of this sin. Lord, help me to obey you. Help me to obey your word. Help me to follow you. Do it today. Don't waste another moment. You know, it's so interesting when we follow Christ, there's always something. There's always something. Because until we reach glory, we're still battling with sin. So there's always something the Lord is working on in us. If there's not, you, you are ignoring the voice of God or something. Because he's always working on us. He's always convicting us. That's what the Holy Spirit's job. And so if, if what I find in my walk with the Lord is if the Lord convicts me on something... And I delay, or if I don't respond in faith, the Lord is patient. And, and it's like my walk with the Lord is put on pause until I deal with that one thing. Until I obey his voice in that area. And I try to move on, and I try to go on, and a week goes by, a month goes by, and I, I pray in the Lord, and he's just there kind of, tapping on that one thing. And that's what I mean by wasting days. We, we only have a certain number. Did you know our days are numbered? Amen. Your number of days is fixed. And I don't want to waste one of them by not, by not going as far as I can with the Lord as I possibly can in the number of days that I have. And so every day I don't walk with the Lord is a wasted day. So let us, let us 
walk with the Lord. Let us obey and heed that call to follow him. Let us not trust in our own works like the Pharisees were doing. Even John's disciples here trusting in their own works and their own fasting, thinking that they could be made righteous by their good works. Jesus says, no, I I didn't come to, to refurbish this old system that you guys have destroyed and perverted. He says, I've come to do something new. I've come to pour my wine, my life into new wineskins in the power of the Spirit. And so he he tells them, I'm doing something new. And Jesus brought the new covenant. We, We are not saved by our works and by our own righteousness. We are saved only by the grace of God that we receive in faith. And so Christ called out to Matthew. He called out to him. He said, follow me. And we see how Matthew responded. He responded in faith. In Matthew's life, we see an example of what God can do when someone follows Jesus. That day, many came to Christ because of Matthew's invitation. Our lives still being touched today by Matthew's testimony that we read here on the pages of Scripture. And so what God can do with someone who follows Christ, who steps out in faith, listen, there's no limit to what God can do. It it is terrifying at times. But it is the only life that is worth living. And Christ is calling all of us today. He calls out to us today, follow me. Will we respond to his call? Will we step out in faith? Will we see what God will do? Let us respond in faith today. Hear Christ's call. Walk in faith. Walk in obedience to him today. Would you stand with me this morning? As we conclude today, I'd like to invite our prayer teams uh, to come to the front, our after-service prayer ministry. And let me just say, if the Lord has touched your heart today, don't leave here without doing business with God at some level. Whether that's responding in faith, we might need some more prayer team uh, today. Uh, maybe some of the elders or deacons can, can come as well. Um, whether that's coming and praying with one of the prayer teams or, or simply praying there. But, but let, us, let us do business with God. Look, there's still 30 minutes till noon, till lunchtime. You've got plenty of time. But I believe God has spoken to some hearts today, this morning. And Jesus, he tells the parable of the, the, the preacher who sows the word of God. It's like a farmer who, who throws out seed. And he says that, that there are some that hear the word of God and before it can take root, the enemy comes and snatches it away like a bird coming and snatching the seed. And, and there's a, a sense in which we can hear the word of God, we can be moved by the word of God, and it is like that seed. But if we don't take just a moment to let his word penetrate, to press into our hearts, we can walk out these doors and before we hit the parking lot, we're already thinking about Mamacita's, Alamo Cafe, Papacito's, Taquera, whatever. And it's gone like that. So let's just take a moment. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's just pause for a moment. Let's just say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I pray that would be all of our prayer this morning whether you've been following Christ for 80 years or you have yet to start following him, let that be all of our prayer this morning. Lord, I want to follow you today. Every day we must follow him. Every day 
we must make that decision to step out in faith to obey his word. So how is the Lord speaking to your heart this morning? Let us confess before the Lord where we have sinned. Let us confess our sin to him because he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I want to invite anybody right now in this moment, anybody who wants to receive prayer this morning, you can come now. The, the altar is open now. If the Lord's moving on your heart, you say, I just want to pray with somebody about this. Come. This is a judgment-free zone. Guess what? We're all sinners saved by grace. Let us come and let us pray together with those who can join with us in faith. Let us humble ourselves before God. Guess what? We don't all have it figured out. We all need prayer. We all need encouragement. We all need those who will join with us. So I want to invite you to come this morning. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus today. Take that first step of faith. Come and, come and say that to one of these prayer teams and they will lead you in accepting Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Maybe you need healing today in your body. Whatever the need. Maybe you're brokenhearted over something today. Come and let us pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, your word to us today is to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would respond in faith today and we would, we would just rise and follow you, just like Matthew. Lord, I believe you've pricked our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that your word, it, it would go down deep, that it, the enemy would not come in and, and steal it, but that it would be pressed into our hearts and that it would bear good fruit in our lives.